CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC studios, here's your host, GoPowerCat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to a special edition of the PowerCat podcast. Today, we're going to delve into recruiting and more specifically, recruiting in the state of Kansas and how good it is this season uh, for both Kansas State and KU as they assess the talent. It is one of the deeper years in recruiting for this state. I am Tim Fitzgerald, publisher of Go Power Cat, joined today by Ryan Wallace, our recruiting editor at Go Power Cat, and 24-7's Kevin Flaherty, who helps out Fog.net, our KU site, and the entire 24-7 network with his evaluations, and these guys are all over this class. But before we launch into all of the topics related to this recruiting year in the state of Kansas, let me remind you that if you like to follow recruiting, in this case, football recruiting, but any kind of recruiting, your destination needs to be 24-7 sports. Whether you're a K-State fan or a KU fan or a fan of another school that might have an interest in recruiting in the state of Kansas, make sure you're subscribing to 24-7 sports. Both GoPowerCat.com and Fog.net have $1 offers for your first month. Get on over there, hit that green join button, and get on board with some of the greatest recruiting coverage you will ever find. And so much more team coverage also from both sites. Make sure you're subscribing to your favorite school on the 24-7 Sports Network. And let's dive right in now to this podcast. We're going to go a long time, so strap in, folks. Get ready. And Kevin Flaherty, let's just start with you. Give me your general thoughts on the 2023 recruiting class in the state of Kansas. It's incredibly deep. It's incredibly talented. And it's going to be a fun bunch of kids to track as we go through this entire process. I can't believe we're at 2023 recruits, but those are the seniors to be in the fall. Actually, there's enough players here for both programs to thrive with it, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, when you, you look at how long you and I have been doing this, and it, and it really is a long time and probably ages both of us quite a bit. You know, I, I started, I, I think, with Bob.net right after college, so sometime around, you know, 2003, 2004. So right about the start of the, the quote-unquote recruiting database era. <laughs> and th- this is about as good of an in-state class as I've seen fits. I mean, when you when you look at not just the talent at the top where you're talking about, you know, I, I think we have three kids with four-star rankings, but I, I think there are as many as four or five that that could potentially be in that discussion and deserve that sort of ranking. And so you have that depth of talent at the top, but you also have the, the depth at the bottom of the class. And I think that – that's the thing that maybe makes this class most interesting is you don't necessarily have to hit on all your, your top targets. If you're a school like Kansas, you know, you can maybe miss 
out even on the top five and options five through 20 are probably about what options, you know, one through 10 or, or, or one through, you know, 15 are in a normal class. It, it's the depth on this class is crazy. And I think it, it's going to make things really interesting, not just heading into December, not just heading into the second signing day, but I think even when you're looking at on into March and April, when they start talking about which ones of these guys are going to be invited walk-ons and who's going to choose Kansas or Kansas state. Uh, And I, and I think Ryan would agree with this. I I think that there are kids that are still going to be out there at that point where they're going to have a choice between, Hey, I could maybe actually play at Kansas or Kansas state. And even if I enter the program as a walk-on, I'm good enough to potentially make an impact there rather than going to, to say, a Pitt State or an Emporia State or, or go FCS. I, I think some of those guys are going to have some interesting choices late in the process, too. Well, the thing that strikes well, me about this class before you get to your addition there is there isn't a jerkanic in this class, and it's really about quality depth. Like Kevin said, it's it's absolutely an incredibly deep class, but it doesn't have that kind of national-level player that we've seen come out of Kansas on occasion. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Avery Johnson at the top, definitely, you know, when you watch his film and everything and you you go through the offers, obviously I think he could contend for being that national um, guy. Uh, John Randall Jr. has the offers to make himself a national name. And Dylan Edwards, we rate him as a four-star, still a three-star by composite standards. I mean, he has at least the offers that would make him a national name. But I do agree with what you're saying in the sense of, you know, uh, the Jaron Canics, the Isaiah Simmons of the world, and even he, his recruitment kind of blew up late. But yeah, I mean, maybe to that level, Avery is not, but I do think he is very worthy of kind of being the crown jewel, if you will, this class. But, you know, getting back to what you and Kevin were both talking about there, it's incredible. I don't mean to, see, you know, go ad nauseum about the depth here, but there are 18 kids right now from the state of Kansas in this class alone that already have FBS scholarship offers. That's incredible. And I think when, when you look historically at the last several years, cause like Kevin said, I, I think I've been doing this since about 2008, 2009 progressively, Kansas has started to get that many players who come signing day end up maybe committing or signing with an FBS program but a lot of those guys might not get that scholarship until December, January. It might be a blue shirt kind of scholarship. And so to have 18 guys that already have full ride offers and we haven't even hit the month of May yet, which as Kevin knows, as Fitz, as you know, that's kind of when this combine and this camp circuit really gets going and guys that we haven't even really given a whole lot of thought to start emerging in one-on-one kind of competition. And so that's, what's crazy. And then on top of that, getting back to the point that I was going to make there at the end of what Kevin was saying, walk on recruiting. I've always thought is as difficult, if not more of a challenge for a lot of these staffs, because again, you're trying to convince a player to come to your school without any real aid, kind of banking on themselves, banking on a dream over full ride offers from Maybe it's FBS, lower level FBS programs or more than likely FCS programs um, that are really good, you know, national contending North Dakota state type programs. 
Well, now there's another layer of that fence, which is the NIL. And now you start wondering, well, maybe KU and K-State have a shot at getting some of those kids that have drifted onto the FCS before because now they can lure them in with lure them in with NIL money. But again, that makes walk-on recruiting even more challenging and even more cutthroat. So again, finishing off to what Kevin said, I think this is a recruiting cycle that we might not see finish until maybe a year from now. That's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And and what strikes me right now is there's out of the top 10 kids, according to our own 24-7 rankings, not the composite rankings, um, but we've got 14 Kansas prospects ranked by you guys, basically, and other people on the 24-7 staff. And only four of them are committed. Three of them to Kansas State. And let's just start with the fourth-ranked player in the state, Jaden Ham, out of Eudora, tight end, Arkansas. And we're, we've grown accustomed to seeing that occasional Arkansas or Clemson or something pop up on our Kansas list that's a little bit um, out of pocket. Um, but I, I think we can agree that these two staffs at KU and K-State need to lock down the state better. The bleed away to Iowa State and Oklahoma State and those type of programs really needs to stop. But uh, tell me a little bit about Jaden Ham. Either one of you can take it. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're absolutely right on, on your other point too. In that, you know, you look at the history of both Kansas and Kansas State, and this this sounds like a really definitive statement, but neither program has ever had a successful season without a backbone of local talent. Right. They just haven't. When you look at, at Kansas State and the rebuild under Snyder, or the build, you could say under Snyder, when you, when you even go back to Kansas's orange bowl teams, you know, in the forties and the sixties, I mean, there were backbones of, of Kansas town. Now that's not to say that you can't win without those guys, but neither school either ever has. And so I think when you, when you talk about wanting to, to press the others out and, and look at, at really securing the state, uh, I think that's a big part of it because I know there are a lot of people out there who don't necessarily see the depth of talent in state, you know, maybe the way that that we do. And they say, why, why is it really important for K-State to get four Kansas kids or six Kansas kids? Why is it important for Kansas, you know, like I've said over the years to get six to 10 kids between Kansas and Kansas City combined, and I think that's the biggest reason why is a lot of those a lot of those guys. Not only is the talent there, but they're close enough to you and close enough to your program that they don't necessarily have negative impressions of your program, and it means a lot to those guys because they don't want to go home being the first K-State team in however many years to lose to Kansas. That's going to be a miserable Christmas existence if that winds up happening. But Jaden Hammett is a really interesting guy, I think. When you look at the talent that Eudora's had over the last few years, I think Ryan would agree with me that you know it's jumped up quite a bit. And he's not the only talented guy there this year. You've got Jaden Bender there, too. Uh, but when you look at, at Jaden Ham, he he's a prototype tight end in terms of he's got just that really great frame that you want to see. He's a physical kid. He's the kind of guy that 
you know, he's nice off the field, but really not nice at all on it, you know, plays with a bit of that chip on his shoulder that, that makes other people maybe kind of want to fight him a little bit. And, and he catches the ball really well. He's got good body control and, and he can run routes. And so he can kind of do, do it all. I don't think there's any one thing in there that, that jumps out at you. You know, he's not necessarily the guy that goes out as a tight end and runs four five five. And you say, Oh my gosh, this this guy is a receiver in tight end skin, but I think that he has a chance to do everything at a plus level. And I think that's a big part of the reason his ranking is so high and, and a big part of the reason he drew so many big offers because people like Penn state and others were coming in on him too, before he wound up picking Arkansas. Yeah, it's really interesting. It, out of the 14 players we have ranked in the state of Kansas, three are tight ends. <clears throat> and Wally, another thing that jumps out at me is Kansas typically produces really good offensive linemen, and there are some really good offensive linemen in this class. But if you go by our 24-7 rankings, you don't run into an offensive lineman until number seven. So you've got a lot of skill guys up there at the top, which is a little bit interesting for the state. Cause that's Correct me if I'm wrong. It's not typically what we see from the state of Kansas is loaded down with skill position players. No, I mean, you're right in, in saying that. But then at the same time, I think that just speaks to uh, what Kevin was alluding to earlier about how I think in any given year, if you would rotate Joe Otting to a different recruiting cycle in Kansas, he would be a top three player. Right. He's that sure. type of player. I mean, he is right now, I would say, you know, as coveted as anybody in state between K-State and KU. Uh, I know KU obviously is still going after some of the players that are ranked ahead of Joe in class in the state right now. But I think that's a guy that I think KU desires and wants just as bad as K-State does. Um, I mean, you look at the offensive linemen in this class since you touched on it, Fitz, and even though they are ranked, uh, you know, not as high as you would typically see them, we have Joe Otting at seven, Calvin Clements, who's really the only true offensive tackle in this class at six, seven, about 280. Um, He's at number eight out of Lawrence Free State. You've got Camden Beebe, uh, who is obviously Cooper Beebe's younger brother out of Piper and already a K-State commit. He was the first for the Wildcats in this class. And then we do have Tyler Little rated uh, or or, uh, projected right now as a tight end or sorry, rated as a tight end. We project him, at least Kevin and I do, to end up maybe sliding inside to an offensive guard position. Hmm. He's one of those guys, great athlete, small town Kansas kid out of Galena, but he performs so many other sports. For instance, you know, uh, being competitive in AAU basketball through the summer that we don't feel like his body has been given a chance to put on weight and then hold that weight because he's always transitioning into the next sport. So if you look at him and he's 6'4", 240 now, 245, uh, there's no doubt in my mind Tyler Little could easily be pushing you know, 280, 290 with uh, a little bit of patience and a proper you know, strength, class, strength, uh, and coordinator, strength and conditioning coordinator and, and nutritionist. So I think those four guys – are extremely strong. And and I'll give you an example of how strong I think they are. You know, you look at the offers they're getting. Joe Otting is a guy that's starting to get some more national level interest. I know Stanford was interested in his academics back in the fall. Iowa just offered they're getting involved. Baylor is now involved with both Joe Otting and Calvin Clements. And then you look at a guy like Camden Beebe, who has kind of become an afterthought, which is unfortunate because of how, how solid I think he is. 
But when you have the Avery Johnsons, the Dylan Edwards that are still looming, and you've got Wesley Fair and Will Ancio that have already committed, Camden is kind of the old news. And mind you, this is an offensive lineman who's the youngest of four, uh, youngest of four, all brothers. So you can imagine the type of toughness and tenacity <laughs> that this young man has. And on top of that, he goes out to the UC report as uh, coming out of his sophomore year. So a year ago this time and ends up bringing home the offensive lineman MVP trophy uh, against uh, a lot of the guys that are rated higher than him now out of, you know, St. Louis and basically the Kansas city most side on the defensive end and defensive tackle position. So that is a guy that I think, you know, pulled the trigger early. And I think a lot of people hesitated because of the last name fits, but you put him in another state, and you put him where he doesn't have an older brother and everybody just kind of assumes he's going to head to K-State. And I think you could have seen his recruitment really blossom. Yeah, I'm not going to bet against a BB being a successful <laughs> offensive lineman. I, I've learned that lesson. Two other guys are committed uh, to Kansas State out of the top ten right now. And and honestly, they kind of hopped up and, and took us by surprise a little bit, particularly Wesley Fair out of Wichita Collegiate, listed as an athlete. And then, of course, Will Ancio, the tight end out of Cape of Mount Carmel. Uh, guys, give me your thoughts on those two guys. Kevin, Kevin, why don't I start with Wesley, and then I'll let you hear sure. Will. Um, with Wesley Fair, this is a young man that I got a chance to see in person uh, last summer, uh, right before he was entering his junior season at Wichita Collegiate. He came to a K-State camp uh, early in June, got a chance to see him at the safety position and was just really wowed by his overall athleticism. He's got a great build. Uh, we list him at 6'2", 180. I, I wouldn't be surprised if now he's approaching maybe 6'3", 185-ish. Uh, I, I think he's got a great build for Joe Klamman to work with. And I again, because I talked about his athleticism, uh, I think he could project almost at all three of K-State's safety positions. I think he's a guy that's going to be very interchangeable. Um, we're talking about a player that has gotten some all-state basketball um, recognition. So that gives you an idea of kind of the, the burst that he has. And I was just really impressed with his ball skills. I thought the way that he timed things uh, at camp was phenomenal. And then when you watch him on film in the fall, he does a little bit of dual threat quarterback um, on offense. And you can really see just his composure his maturity, his leadership, uh, his vision, uh, just a tremendous overall athlete that you could see the hype starting to grow. More and more people from Wichita were connecting with Kevin and I. You need to look at Wesley Fair. Colleges need to be looking at Wesley Fair. K-State and, and KU, for that matter, really jumped all over him. And I know K-State just really hit, knocked it out of the park with him um, from the full staff point of view. Everybody was all in on him. He felt a lot of love kind of came down to K-State and Iowa State. And I just think ultimately he felt a real strong connection with staying home and being able to play in that defense for Joe Klanerman. So exceptional athlete and a guy I think that might be, you know, if you're looking for a player comp, I think Tyson Hartman is a guy that comes to mind, but I think Wesley Fair probably has a notch above him in, in overall athleticism. I think you're looking at an ultra athlete with Wesley Fair intangibly off the charts too right ryan yeah oh absolutely just a, a sensational kid um very humble well-spoken um if you're talking about you know stars and accolades i'm not sure wesley even knows where he is or cares to know where he is <laughs> uh he's all about business so absolutely 
Yeah, he was somebody that college kids were, or college kids, college coaches uh, were were raving about from a personal standpoint. You know, even more than than him as a player. When coaches were first able to get out on the road and see guys, you know, he was he, that was one of the first things you heard about him was, yeah, he's he's a heck of a player, he's a heck of an athlete, but a really great and dynamic kid. And I think K State will be really happy there. I think, you know, moving on to Ancio, I think one of the really exciting things about Ancio is the fact that he's not right now what he will be at Kansas state. And what I mean by that is, is I think Ryan, would you say the best way to describe him right now is he's basically a jumbo wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, he, he projects as a tight end, but you're talking about a guy who's six foot six, six foot seven, about 215 pounds. So, you know, the type of guy you want playing power forward spot in the big 12. And he, he's going to add a lot of, uh, he's going to add a lot of weight and he's going to add a lot of bulk and a lot of strength. And I think when you watch him on tape, he's exciting for a few different reasons. One is, you know, his strides just absolutely eat up ground like crazy. And so he outruns angles quite a bit, either as a route runner or even after the catch or somebody thinks that, Hey, I, I'm going to catch this guy. He might not be that fast. And next thing you know, he's, he's five or 10 yards past you. But the other thing is, is he's an incredibly coordinated catcher. And a lot of times you don't see that with guys who are that size, that type of frame, you know, they have a little bit of awkwardness to him. And Ancio doesn't really have that. He's somebody that as you, as you would think, you know, being six foot six or six foot seven, he has no issues high pointing the ball, but his catch radius is excellent in that he doesn't have a problem going to the ground for the ball. He doesn't have issues adjusting to the ball and coming back for the ball. And so he he's really a, a talented receiver at this point. And when you look at the way that Kansas state uses those tight ends, obviously the first thing you want to be able to do if you're a Kansas state tight end is block. And, and we haven't really gotten a chance to see will Ancio block to the extent of what we'll see at Kansas state, but he's got that kind of body where he's going to be somebody that's going to add a lot of weight. He's going to add strength. And I think he's going to be able to block. But the exciting thing is, is when Kansas state runs RPOs or does different things like that, this is a guy that, you know, he's going to get down that seam really quickly and he's somebody that can, you know, go up over the top of somebody to make a catch or, or sort of slide into an open spot in the zone and then maybe make something happen after the catch. He's an exciting player. Man, you got me fired up now. That was <laughs> yeah, just that was great. I just sat back and listened. Um, let's hit the reset <laughs> button here. Uh, we have, as we go through the top ten, basically, of Kansas recruits, we've touched on number four, Jaden Ham, number five, Wesley Fair, now nine and ten in Will Ancio and Camden Beebe. Let's fill in the gap here. At number six is Andre Davis, a wide receiver out of Blue Valley. And, uh, Kevin, I kind of feel like he's getting lost in the shuffle a little bit here. Well, I think a lot of that's because I don't think anybody has a real feel for his recruitment. I mean, is that accurate, Ryan? I would say so. He doesn't really do a lot of interviews. He doesn't, you know, there, there's not a, a ton of that. And I think too, you know, he's maybe caught up a little bit 
in the he's a Kansas kid, but he's in the Kansas City area, and this is a really good year for wide receivers in Kansas City in general. Yeah, I mean, I think Kevin just nailed it. I think part of it is you're looking at a player that didn't have a lot of tape until this last year because he transferred into Blue Valley um, right basically at the end of their fall camp. I want to say it was like a week sure. or two before their their home or their season opener against Blue Valley Northwest that I was there for and outstruts Andre Davis, and I'm a Blue Valley alum, and so I have some ties to that coaching staff, and I immediately go over and I'm like, uh, who's that kid? I don't, I don't <laughs> see him on the roster. And so, yeah, they gave me the spiel. He, he was a late transfer in out of Texas. And again, didn't come with a, a lot of t- varsity tape. And so last season was kind of his coming out party, if you will, uh, a tremendous uh, player as far as just the way that he go can go up and high point a ball. Kevin was talking about it with Will Ancio. That's Andre Davis. But again, to Kevin's point, you look at some of the offers that Andre Davis has with, particularly, you know, in Iowa and Iowa State, KUK State, just to name a, a few. And I think he might be kind of a number two guy for a lot of those schools where I think Andre's kind of waiting on some other dominoes to fall, you know, with the Josh Manning. Uh, that would, you know, he's probably the first guy that comes to mind sure. for me, where I think all of those schools are kind of waiting to see what Josh Manning is going to do. So I think Andre's recruitment is going to end up, you know, just being fine as long as he's patient with it. Um, I, a lot of these offers are going to stick and they'll just be a matter of who gets who. And then, you know, who transitions over to Davis come maybe in the fall. You touched on something really good. And we'll get to this in the second half of the podcast. Well, I think we all consider the Missouri side of the Kansas city Metro Kansas and for recruiting purposes because Kay and Kansas State are all over that and Josh Manning is it from Lee Summit highly regarded and we will touch on him a little bit in the second half uh, Joe Otting I'm, I'm fascinated this kid is in demand he's ranked seventh by 24-7 in the state of Kansas but he's beginning to really line up the offers as an interior offensive lineman I know KU and K-State both want him Baylor as you mentioned is in on him Iowa is kind of expected to be the leader thought to be the leader maybe i don't know uh but kevin give me your thoughts on where mr odding is headed in his recruitment and where he might end up yeah he's a he's a prototypical top five kid in the city of kansas like ryan was talking about before and he's somebody the the type of person you would usually see in that spot he's got a little bit of throwback to him you know he's the type of guy where you would almost expect to see him walking down the high school hallway with blood on his nose. And, uh, <laughs> and so he, he's got a little bit of that, which of course, offensive line coaches love, but even beyond that, once you throw on the tape, you know, he's a pretty good athlete. He gets on the move pretty well. He's got toughness. He can make different kinds of blocks. I mean, when he pins somebody down they're they're pinned, they, they, they are not going anywhere. And so when you add all of that together, you know, I think it is the type of guy I feel like, and I'm not trying to direct his recruitment any one way, but Iowa just offered him. And I feel like he's the type of guy we see go to Iowa all the time and come out on the other side is all big 10, you know, winds up being a top three round draft pick. And everybody says, where does Iowa get these kids from? Well, in this case, it would be from Topeka, but you can see, you know, why so many schools are, are so in love with him just because it's a class. I feel like across the country, maybe even where people are having trouble finding offensive tackles, 
and they want offensive tackles. And so interior offensive linemen aren't getting recruited maybe to the level that they should. And so the fact that Odding is generating this much attention as an interior lineman this year, even while everybody is still out kind of searching for their tackles, I think says a lot about that kid's ability. And touch on Calvin Clements from Lawrence Free State. As you guys mentioned, the, the lone kind of prototypical tackle at 6'7", 275. Yeah, well, I'll, take Cal- yeah. I'll take Calvin Clements. Um, you know, he's a player that, again, another guy we got to see get, earn his offer live and in person under the lights at Bill Snyder Family Stadium last season. He impressed Coach Kleiman, Connor Riley that much that they decided to go ahead and, and get in early. Um at the same time, I get a feeling that maybe Kansas State is kind of pivoted elsewhere, maybe at offensive tackle. I think there's some guys outside the state um, that maybe they just feel like they're in a little bit tighter on um, than Calvin Clements. And part of that might be because of the way that Calvin Clements's recruitment has steadily climbed a little bit. It's not, I wouldn't say it's surging to the level that the Joe Oddings is, but you know he did pick up the Baylor offer. Nebraska's in the mix, Oklahoma State, Minnesota, as well as Iowa State, KU and K-State. And so, um, you know, with him, it's, it's going to be an interesting recruitment, I think, for him. He comes from uh, a family, didn't arrive at Free State until um, this past season because he had been at a private uh, religious institution, um, kind of more as a basketball player than a football player up until basically uh, the pandemic, I think Kevin took the football program away. And so <laughs> sure. he ended up at, at free state um, and really dedicated himself to football and has a, a, a great upside. I think just because he's so long, I mean, he's ab- absolutely every bit of six, seven, um, that listing is very accurate. So the thing with Calvin though, that maybe he can take a page out of Joe Otting's book is as Kevin said, I think regionally offensive tackles, uh, are kind of at a premium in this class. There are some really good uh, interior guys or guys that project better on the interior, but you, you we're having trouble finding some of these six, seven, six, six type guys, uh, you know, in Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, in this region. Um, and so obviously all the schools in this region are just going crazy for them. And then as we're seeing with Joe Otting though, I think almost the longer you let it play out, some of these other schools that are maybe outside the territory might miss on an offensive tackle or whatever, and they're going to go looking, and a guy like Calvin Clements might benefit, actually, from still being on the market. So I'm very curious to see with both he and Joe Otting if, the plan, if they stick to their plan, which I know with Joe is to try and take all five of his official visits. Um, and so if Calvin does the same thing, I think those are two players, at least when you look at the top ten, that might linger uncommitted a little bit longer than maybe we anticipated. They might go, uh, I don't want to say definitely into the fall, but certainly a little bit deeper into summer as we were talking about with, with Andre Davis. Those are the recruits three through 10 in the state of Kansas that, uh, we're monitoring it 24-7. It's a remarkable year in recruiting for this state. After this break on the PowerCat podcast, we'll touch on the top three guys, three four-star guys getting a lot of attention, and there's a lot to talk about with that. Also, I want to know who these two experts, Ryan Wallace and Kevin Flaherty, have as their sleepers, guys we may not be expecting. There's plenty more recruits below number 10 that are very viable in the state. We'll also take a peek across the border in the Kansas City metro area at Missouri. And also, I'd like to know from these guys, 
the goals for Kansas State and KU as football programs with this recruiting class. It's all coming up in the second of three portions of this edition of the Power Cap Podcast as we go extremely in-depth on Kansas high school recruiting in 2023 for football. I'm Fitz, and we will be right back after this break. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Podcast continues after this short break. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back to the PowerCat Recruiting Podcast. Tim Fitzgerald here in the GPC studios, and I'm joined by phone with our own Ryan Wallace and 24-7's Kevin Flaherty, who helps us cover football recruiting and many other things in the state of Kansas. As we look at this incredible year for prospects in the state of Kansas, the 2023 class is going to go down in history as one of the deepest and most talented, skilled classes uh, in the history of the Sunflower State. And we covered recruits, according to the 24-7 rankings, 4 through 10 in the first half of the podcast. And let's just dive right in here. And let's start with number three as we work our way up now. And a guy that's getting a lot of attention, a very intriguing pod uh, prospect as, as a guy who you know, some of these national programs are peeking in on him, but they don't know what quite what to do with a five foot eight, 160 pound running back out of Derby named Dylan Edwards. Of course, he's a legacy at Kansas State. His father, Leon, was a running back for Coach Bill Snyder. Guys, I don't know who wants to take this first, but I know OU's made an offer. He's got some other impressive offers, and he was just in at Missouri uh, taking a look at the Tigers. He's getting a lot of attention. He seems to keep visiting A&M. He's got an Oregon offer, and yet I still think he's a, a very viable prospect in the state of Kansas for one of the schools. Give me your thoughts. Uh, I'll take it. I, I'm, curious, I'm a little curious to hear what Kevin has to say. I think most of the, the people on our boards kind of know where I stand on Dylan Edwards, so I'll be short and sweet with it. I think for me right now, when, when you look at Dylan, first off, from a talent standpoint, he is – He's every bit as advertised. Uh, Kevin and I both got a chance to see him in a spotlight game for them last year against Avery Johnson's Mays team. It went back and forth, but Dylan Edwards pretty much put uh, the Derby offense on his shoulders, carried the load. Um, I think he's developing more as a receiver, too. Uh, I mean, when you look at a guy like Deuce Vaughn, Dylan Edwards can do a lot of the things that Deuce can, maybe not individually, um, you know, as far as, you know, uh, the agility and some of the things that Deuce does, which is just incredible. But I mean, from a usage standpoint, the way that Kansas State has chosen to use Deuce Vaughn as a all-purpose, a true all-purpose player, 
That is Dylan Edwards. Lightning quick. We're talking, you know, I think possibly laser timed if he, you know, was well rested, stretched, had a chance to, you know, do a warm up or two. I mean, he he could possibly get in the high four three neighborhood. Certainly a four four type kid. With his recruitment, though, and this is where I'm curious to also hear Kevin's thoughts. My personal perception with Dylan is that I think that there are a lot of teams that are incredibly intrigued by his film, and being a Gatorade Player of the Year will get you that. I think there's also a lot of teams that are extremely hesitant on do we really want, how bad do we really want Dylan Edwards? I think there are several schools, of course, K State is one of them that do want Dylan Edwards because they see all the things that they can do with a player of his abilities in, in different roles. Um, with an Oklahoma, though, for instance, is that staff universally united on accepting that commitment? Or is he the type of player that is, as I was mentioning with Andre Davis in our first half, is Dylan Edwards, despite being a four-star and the Gatorade Player of the Year, is he maybe a backup option for a lot of these teams where it's kind of, let's keep him at bay, let's keep him at arm's length, hopefully we don't lose him, but we've got some other guys that we feel like maybe are more true college prospects. They fit the mold a little bit better let's let's dive in with them a little bit more and in the meantime it's allowed dylan edwards to say that's fine i'm going to enjoy this recruiting process i've earned this recruiting process and hell maybe i can attract a little bit more in the nil field out of it and you can't really fault a kid right now because that's the way of recruiting and so that's where i stand on dylan i think it'll be very interesting to see what other dominoes fall, what kind of impact that ends up having on his recruitment. But for now, he seems very content, um, you know, going and, and giving uh, certain coaching staffs that have shown him interest, um, the same mutual interest that he's getting. And so I think, again, it's one of those deals where he, he said that he wants to focus and narrow his focus. But at the same time, I think this spring, he's really just enjoying being a recruit. Sure. I, I think that's pretty accurate. And I mean, we, we've been watching Dylan for, for a really long time. I mean, I, we were, uh, we were at the, the mill Valley game, you know, to start a sophomore year. And, and while they, they'd probably rather forget that result, you know, that was, I think where Dylan really sort of stamped himself as, as this level of prospect, because let's, let's be honest, Derby had an awesome offensive line that year. And they really struggled to block Mill Valley up front. And when you look at, at Ethan Creamer and some of the guys on Mill Valley's defensive line, you understand why. But that didn't stop Dylan from having just a, a terrific game and a really good showing. And I think that was one of those where you said, huh, he just he just made three guys miss and, and went to the house, you know, when, when the blocking wasn't perfect. And, and I think – from that point, you wanted to continue to see development. You wanted to, I think Dylan was what, I think the first time we saw him at a combine, he was, I think, 143 pounds. Does that sound about right, yeah. Ron? Yeah, I was going to say it was before his sophomore season even began. It was that summer. Yeah. So, yeah, he was yeah, the, 140 the same, pounds soaking wet. The same camp that we saw Jaron Canicat for the first time. And, and so when, when you look at that and you look at sort of the progression of him as a prospect, he's, he's worked on his body quite a bit. You know, he's, he's added 
uh, probably about the amount of weight that we would have wanted to see at this point. I thought he struggled as a receiver at times early on. You know, he wasn't a natural pass catcher. And, you know, there were times when he, he would just run by somebody and he didn't necessarily adjust to the ball in flight. But, you know, I know you've seen it more recently, Ryan, than I have and others in our network have. And he he's made that part of his game. You know, he's somebody that I think you really can at this point, you know, use at both running back or motion him out into the slot spot and throw him the ball. And and Dylan deserves so much credit for, for that. And I, I think the really tough thing for Dylan as a prospect is that Dylan's not 5'11 or, or six feet or, or whatever. He, he's significantly shorter than that. And, and there's only so many things you could do in that situation, because I know when I've had college coaches ask me, well, you know, is he really five foot eight? And, and I, I tell him, yeah, I mean, he, he's been, he's measured that in the combine. And even then they're kind of like, well, I'd still like to see him in person, but then what happens when he shows up in person and he's, he's five, eight, you know, that's, that's not a, a resounding, you know, check mark for him in terms of somebody saying, okay, he is five, eight. Let's, let's go ahead and, and make him the number one running back on our board. And so I think Dylan's such a fascinating guy and that you see him in person and he wows you with, with how fast he is. And then you see him on tape, and he returns a kickoff where he accelerates by, you know, four people with the snap of your fingers. And, and you say, you know, it's one thing to be impressed by somebody's speed in person. It's another thing to go back on tape where, you know, you're used to seeing that sort of thing. And he still stands out. Like Ryan said, if, if he had a five hour energy right before he went and he ate his Wheaties and everything and he ran four, three, eight, it would not surprise me one hair. I mean, he is legitimately that fast and that dynamic. He, he's one of the fastest kids in the state of Kansas with the ball under his arm. And maybe the only kid in the, in the same discussion is what, maybe the Chokar kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. From and, and, and so when you, when you look at, at all of that, you know, he, he, he is what he is as a prospect. And a lot of teams want, they're running back to be more of a quote unquote bell cow type. They want Brees Hall. They want Bijan Robinson, somebody that is 215, 225 pounds that they can continue to give the ball to when they have a mismatch, when they can run the ball and all of those different things. And so I do think that there are some schools on that list that have either offered or shown interest that are maybe slow playing to see where, where other options are. At the same time, I, I do think that's certainly not the case for all of them. And, and like Ryan was saying, I, I absolutely think that either in-state school would love Dylan Edwards, you know, in a heartbeat like that. And they're and they aren't the only ones. And so I, I'm interested to see how his recruitment plays out because I do think that as we get further into the season, you know, is it a sort of thing where somebody at a quote unquote bigger school or better recruiting school might be the more accurate way to put it 
where they send somebody out to Derby on a Friday night to see him play and they come away with the same impressions that we did. That's, that's certainly possible. But for right now, I think, you know, Dylan doesn't seem like he's in a hurry to, to do anything. And I, I don't know that he needs to be because I think his recruiting is, is kind of about where it should be right now. Well, and, is, and Fitz, I just want to say one more thing about Dylan Edwards and Kevin like teed it up for me with that final statement. <laughs> Which is, uh, there's becoming a sentiment, I think, around the K-State fan base that there's this perception that Dylan Edwards doesn't really want to go to K-State, that they are a backup option. I just want to kind of put that to rest. I don't think that's true. I think it's it's interesting to me and, and maybe a little humorous that a guy like Dylan Edwards can get slammed for being invested and an offer from Oklahoma or Oregon or being interested in Texas A&M and wanting to give some of these premier programs a a chance, just like they're again on paper, giving him chance, a chance. And he kind of gets crucified for it. But yet then you hear about a kid. I'm just going to use an example, a Joe Otting who rightfully so for Joe wants to say, man, I'm starting to get a little bit more interest Maybe I take my foot off the gas a little bit and maybe I go and look at Iowa and maybe I give Stanford a little bit more time and see what they're about. So I I just think it's, it's not fair to say that Dylan Edwards, well, if he come, if he lands at K-State, he didn't really want to be there. I just think that right now he's a guy that's enjoying the recruiting process. And if there's an offer and a team that wants to give him the time of day, I see nothing wrong with why Dylan Edwards can't do the same towards them. And that brings me to what the whole new layer here with recruiting. That's the NIL. And I feel like as we go sure. through this list, Dylan Edwards is the first guy where you got to put that layer in that he might get NIL offers from some of these programs. And I, I think that's just a whole nother aspect of recruiting that complicates it from the player's standpoint. You used to just go take your visits wherever you felt most comfortable, where you had the most opportunity, whatever it was that tripped your trigger. But now you've got this, is there money on the table? And I, I don't even know how to approach it, Ryan Wallace. Is he someone that could generate NIL interest from beyond the borders? And is this an opportunity for one of the Kansas schools to step in and maybe see more value in him through the NIL than what a Oklahoma or Texas A&M might in terms of how their recruiting stacks up? You see, I think that's the play if you're Kansas State. I, I think you have to look at, at Dylan Edwards and say, you know, look at what a guy like, you know, Deuce Vaughn has become while he's been on campus here. He's a player that, uh, you know, maybe your talent level isn't equal to him, but he's a player that is a direct comp, is a mere image of how we want to use you. And if you think that, you know, you can do the same things as Deuce Vaughn and you're an in-state kid who's a legacy, you know, you again, you can see what Deuce has become on campus. Why can't that be you? And then use that against another program and say within this, the blink of an eye, the snap of a finger at Oklahoma, you're just the next guy or you're the other guy. And so while I think that there are some programs out there with whether it be Dylan or other players that right now are kind of shining, you know, the the sparkly wand in front of their eyes a little bit, trying to say, look at all the stuff that we can offer you. But at the end of the day, if you can't commit on that offer, 
none of the the you know the the pitches these nil quote offers mean anything um so i that will that is what's going to be extremely interesting for dylan but also for other recruits is as time starts to play out i think we're you're going to start to hear more recruits talk to other recruits and say you know said program is a lot of hot steam there's a lot of hot air there because i didn't get anything of what they said i was going to get and i feel like whether it's a k-state even at KU, especially with in-state targets, you're always going to be nurtured maybe a little bit more than someone that's from out of state. That's that's a great point. And I think, you know, when you look at, at guys in the past who have been, I guess, what the in-state programs would consider to be foundational guys, like Kansas was trying to sell a Monty Bledsoe, for instance, on, hey, come here and be the hometown hero. Well, now being the hometown hero has a dollar figure attached to it. I mean, it, it really does. And it's not necessarily, hey, here's what you can make up front if you come here, but it's hey, if you come here and you're a success and we have success, think about what that can also mean for for your bottom line. And I'm not saying that that's the way Dylan's uh, approaching it or anything like that, but I do think that what Ryan was saying that, you know, in-state guys maybe have more NIL value to tap into. They're more valuable for, for Kansas and Kansas state. Look at the money Kansas was able to get, you know, Jared Casey through, through Applebee's and, you know, he gets a car because he caught one pass to beat <laughs> Texas, you know, as a, as a freshman walk on who was only in because of other injuries and, and Casey played well the two games after that. But like, that's, that's not really the point. The point is, is that, you know, you, you have this, uh, you have this kid from a small town in Kansas and, you know, he has that sort of impact and you're able to show that to the next guy and say, this is how we treat local guys. When, when they have success here, the fans want to be able to do this. The local businesses want to be able to support you. Here's what can happen from NIL. And so it's no longer just, Hey, come here, be a hometown hero. And, and the fans will, you know, say hi, when you walk down main street, it's, Hey, come here, be a hometown hero and also a profit. Okay. Kevin, you mentioned this a little bit ago about Dylan Edwards. Some programs like their running backs a little bit bigger. Sure. And you know what? The state of Kansas offers that too this year. As we move up to number two on the list, another Randall coming out of Wichita, John Randall Jr. out of Wichita Heights. And a lot of interest is coming in on him at six foot one eighty. We've got him one peg ahead of Dylan Edwards, but they're very comparable in terms of being great high school football players. Where do we think John Randall's going to end up with? He's got offers literally coast to coast right now. I have no yeah. idea. He's a mystery. <laughs> Ryan's probably. I, I think Ryan's probably in the same spot here because uh, I'm not sure which of all of those offers are committable at this point. Right. And I think that's one of the tough things about being in our position. And that's not a knock on the kid or anything like that. But just as a, for instance, like John Randall jr. Has an offer to Texas and he visited Texas earlier this month and Texas just landed. Maybe it's top running back target in the class. Certainly one of them uh, from the state of Texas, like a day or two ago after their spring game. And so you wonder, Hey, if, 
if John wants to go to Texas, is that option still there for him? And so I, I think that's the interesting thing there. I, I it's you know I I was covering. I started covering Kansas, you know, at the very start of the Mangino era. So 2002 and then, you know, for the school paper and everything and watching John Randall Jr. run reminds me so much of his father. I mean, very similar slithering style. They almost run sideways at times. You know, it's kind of the, the weirdest thing. Somebody once told me Barry Sanders ran a four or five forwards, backwards, diagonally, you know, whichever way he, he wanted to run it. And one of the things that, that John Sr. had and was that, you know, he he wasn't a blazing fast guy. His first 10 meters were, were outstanding. He had excellent initial quickness, had great balance, but he seemed to almost run with his body aligned at, at weird angles. And it was almost a savant type thing where he just sort of picked and chose his way and he would run through, you know, a whole sideways. And you see that with, with John Randall jr. And it's, he has so much of the same feel and the great balance and that great burst and acceleration. And I can see why people would really be attracted to him as a top running back prospect, because he is such a dynamic guy. He may, he may even be faster than his dad. Cause I think his dad was at Kansas, you know, sort of a four sixes type guy. He looked a lot faster than that on the field. But I think John Jr. may be a little bit faster than that. But uh, as far as his recruiting, you know, I I think that there are a lot of offers that he has. I'm interested the longer this recruitment stretches out and we get to a spot, say, if he's still out there in September and October and he's putting together a top five list, I would be very interested to see what that top five list would yeah. be at that point, because I think that it might be a top five that at this point in his recruiting process that we couldn't even really take aim. Wally, is he yeah. going to end up in Kansas or, I mean, he's a KU legacy, but I just feel like he's destined to go out of state. Well, and I mean, that's what I think Kevin did a good job painting the picture of there at the end is I think, you know, John Randall jr. First off, is a kid that we've known about since he was his freshman year and he was sure and kicks for, for the Falcons as a varsity player. And that goes back to what Kevin was saying with, you know, the, the vision and the speed and everything. But with, with John, he's also, he's also kind of uh, become a little bit of, of a recruiting anomaly uh, because, you know, we talked about Dylan Edwards getting out there, visiting campuses, you know, attending as many camps and combines as he can to really prove himself. And John Randall has been the exact opposite. He's a player that we've never seen at any of the combines and camps that we've been to. And I don't know if many of our national scouts have really been able to evaluate him maybe to the level that they would like to as a top two, four, seven guy. Um, so I think his sights have been set on much more grander prizes out there. And sure. his offer list shows that because I think offer for offer, John Randall Jr.'s list is the best in the state. Mm -hmm. But I think at the same time, again, when we start talking about September, October, maybe even down into November, December, and he's kind of waiting maybe on some of those bigger options and they start to evaporate, that's when 
kind of his finalists are going to be extremely intriguing. And you, you kind of wonder, will the Randall family reevaluate things or will they take it to the last drop trying to kind of get out of state? Like you said, Fitz, I, I, I don't think, you know, John is opposed to maybe staying home. I would think that it would be more KU than K state simply because of the, the family lineage. Um, but at the same time, it, you know, it, it might get to a point deeper in the winter where, as we say, you know, beggars can't be choosers. So it, it his, his recruitment, I, I don't have a whole lot of knowledge about, but it's going to be one that I, I just have a gut instinct will go a little bit longer than he would like and than he would anticipate. That brings us to the number one guy in the state, and the glory goes to the quarterbacks, and so do the number one ranking in the state. Avery Johnson out of Mays, Wichita area, 6'2", 170. Another really impressive list of offers. But, Ryan Wallace, you have put in the crystal ball for Kansas State. And uh, what brought you to that decision? And it appears his top choices are getting whittled down as we speak, as as more and more of these programs get their quarterback recruit uh, and probably move on from Avery Johnson. But K-State is holding fast. That's their guy, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, he's been the the guy for them from the beginning up there with Dylan Edwards, with, you know, Camden Beebe, Joe Odding. I mean, there's kind of Wesley Farewell, Ancio. Obviously, there have been graphics put out there of kind of the – the guys that they want um, locally in state and they've really poured the effort into and Avery has been up there as strong as any Um, Colin Klein has been talking to him before months, you know, probably the better part of a year now and has been very consistent with it. The interesting thing about Avery is kind of, again, common theme that Kevin and I have been touched on or touched on here with this top three. It's that, What's a committable offer and what's not? I think with Avery there, again, you flip the film on and it is uh, unlike anything we've seen at the quarterback position since probably Bubba Starling locally. And the way that he can keep plays alive, he doesn't have the arm strength, obviously, that Bubba Starling did. Um, And that's one of the reasons why maybe some teams are still pondering how badly they want Avery. But as far as a lot of the other things that he can do, Kevin and I actually think he's more polished as a as an accurate passer than people give him credit for. And he's got a frame that's a little bit more wiry than maybe coaches anticipate when they see him in person. But he's again, I talked about Tyler Little in our first half. Avery plays so many sports at such a high level. His body never has a chance to get above like 170, 175. So I don't have a lot of worry about him being able to have a collegiate body after say a year, redshirt year or something like that. But um, getting back to his recruitment, you know, I actually just bumped up for those that really pay close attention. I actually just bumped up my confidence score on his crystal ball from a four to a six. We're still kind of in that mid range, but Malachi Singleton committing to Arkansas on Monday was a huge domino to fall for K-State in the Avery Johnson race because Arkansas has long been considered uh, maybe the team that uh, that he liked most. Dare I even say maybe the team he kind of wanted to, to play for? I'm putting words in Avery's mouth. I think he'd probably disagree with that, but I do think they were extremely high on his list. And so to see them go another direction – 
I think maybe that almost fuels the Kansas State hype even more, not just within fans, but maybe even with Avery, that he's starting to maybe see the schools that really want him and the schools that he really has the tightest connection with that have been honest with him throughout the process. And he's talked about how open and how candid Colin Klein has been with him on each and every question that he's asked. So I, I really have a gut instinct here, Kevin, as I pass it to you, that Avery Johnson will be the guy that will end, snap a decade-old streak now of K-State not landing the state's number one target because I feel like everything is going in K-State's favor as it leads up to what we anticipate being a decision here to come, I would think, at the earliest mid-May, if not mid-June. You know, I, I always used to say that Bill Snyder was the king of winning games where the other team walked off the field like feeling like it was the better team. And they would go in and there would be, you know, sour grapes and they'd say, well, gosh, if, you know, K-State didn't block this kick and if we didn't fumble here and if this didn't happen, you know, these five things had to go wrong for us to lose. <laughs> and, and, and it was the sort of thing that K-State did those five things to people every game. But I feel like that's Avery Johnson's recruitment. And you look at it and if you looked at it, and again, Avery might disagree with this, but if you look at where we were last summer, you know, when we saw him working out here in Kansas city, if you were to look at sort of the dominoes that had to fall for, for Kansas State to get Avery Johnson and not that K-State wasn't in a good spot or not that K-State wasn't recruiting him right or anything like that. Just there were things that probably had to happen where you said, I feel good about Kansas State's chances in this recruitment. And uh, I think that a lot of those dominoes are falling. And, and I think that one of those – and. And perhaps the most important, like you said, was was the Arkansas quarterback commitment. You know, that was a school that, you know, even if if Avery would say that wasn't his favorite school, it was a school he'd always talked positively about. Uh, I think that there are, are other schools, you know, maybe in that mix as well, where either the interest didn't come through or, or you know, his interest didn't come through one thing or another happened. And the thing about it, and I thought you put it so well, Colin Klein has been so consistent in this thing, right? Like it's been, it's been like watching Colin Klein run the ball just time after time after time. And you know, Colin Klein's going to get 25 carries for 135 yards and he's just going to batter you down. And I think, when you see him recruiting, you know, Avery Johnson, it's been one of those things where, you know, Colin Klein probably could have freaked out in this recruitment at some point and been like, my gosh, we're, we're not going to get this kid. Look at, look at this or look at that. But I think Kansas state's consistency of message. uh, I think the way that, that Kansas state has been candid, you know, talking with, with Avery about different points that are important, not just to him, but to the family. Uh, I think when you add sort of all of that together, it, it has Kansas State in a spot where I, I would probably agree with you. You know, I, I don't log crystal balls myself, but I, I would probably put one in for Kansas State as well and, and probably put one in at about the same confidence level at about a six or 
or, or maybe even a seven at this point. And I think that Kansas State has done such an excellent job recruiting Avery Johnson. And it's interesting because Ryan and I feel like get to see this from, from both in-state sides. And I think, you know, for Kansas, Avery Johnson has been QB1 since, you know, since they first saw him play. I mean, Emmett Jones, when he was KU's interim coach for a spring, you know, Avery Johnson was his QB one. And, and so he's been the QB one on, on Kansas's board as well. But I think Kansas state has just sort of slowly climbed that ladder all the way through it. And Kansas state sits at, at arguably the best position right now. And I, and I agree with, with what you were saying about Avery as a, as a player as well. I think, you know, I say he's built like a dancer, you know, he's, he's got like the, the little ankles and, and he just kind of dances through tackles and around guys. He runs a, a great 40 and he's a terrific athlete. He plays basketball above the rim, but even more than that, it's the way that he can slide and adjust. The agility is just off the charts in another world, Avery Johnson could have been a cornerback. And I think that while quarterbacks who are four star type prospects usually have, you know, howitzers for arms. And a lot of times don't necessarily know where it's going. I think Avery's a little bit different in that he doesn't have a weak arm. He just doesn't have that, that quote unquote elite arm or, or great arm. But I feel like he's a lot more accurate with the way that he uses it. And the other thing is, is intangibly he's, he's terrific. I mean, when we were at that Derby game, it was the perfect situation that you wanted to see a quarterback in and the Derby scored. And I think Mays had what about two minutes left to, yeah, to try yeah. and tie up the game. And, and Ryan and I were on the Mays sidelines and there wasn't a kid there for Mays who felt like Avery wasn't going to take them for the game tying touchdown. And he did, you know, just that. And they lost when the, when the two point conversion play didn't go through. But when you can have that kind of leadership, you know, where, where everybody believes in you as well as that kind of ability, uh, I think you have a, a kid that it's pretty understandable why he's the number one guy in the state in this class. Well, that's the top 10 players in the state of Kansas as we look at it right now from the aspect of the 24-7 sports rankings. There's a lot more, though, to cover, and we'll get to some of those other storylines right after this break. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast continues after this short break. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Pigeon Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Way, Brady PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back to this special edition of the Power Cat Podcast as we take a look at recruiting, something we don't do a whole lot on our podcast. Most of it at 24-7 sits behind the paywall for our VIPs, but this is such a significant year in the state of Kansas with the 2023 football recruiting class, the seniors to be in high school next year that we decided to break this out and really 
sift through all the prospects, and we have covered one through ten. And normally, in the state of Kansas, that would pretty much cover it, but it goes so much deeper than that. I am Tim Fitzgerald, publisher of Go Powercat, and we're joined by Ryan Wallace, our recruiting editor at Go Powercat, and 24-7's Kevin Flaherty, who helps out the network and covers football recruiting quite a bit for Fog.net, our Kansas site. So, guys, we've done one through ten. They are impressive. When you got a Camden BB at number 10, you know it's a good year. Um, I mean, that just says an awful lot. But there's so much more to this class. Let's get into some of these sleepers. And maybe they're not even sleepers. Maybe they just didn't break the top 10. Kevin, I'm going to start with you. Who are some of the other guys that jump out at you? Well, the the guy that I think Ryan knows I'll mention right away because I think he's a top 10 guy um, and we don't have him ranked there. And I don't know that anybody else has him ranked at all, but it's Tyler Little at Galena. You know, we we went down to southeast Kansas to, to see him in person. And you're talking about a guy that's, you know, probably six foot four, 245 pounds right now. He's the type of athlete that he played tight end when we saw him and he caught like an 80 yard touchdown pass. He's also the kind of athlete that has a division two scholarship offer to play basketball. And so when you're talking about that guy, potentially being your center (laughs) down the line, you know, as an offensive lineman at 40 pounds and, and have that kind of athletic base, I'm a big fan and he's really flexible. He can bend and snap guys uh, really, really physical. And and so I, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big believer in Tyler little. And I think that we have him, uh, I, we have him as a tight end right now. We think he's going to be an offensive lineman, but I think even beyond that, I think he's a frame guy that you just sort of get into your program and say, this guy has athletic tools. He's got a, a good athletic frame. Let, let's lock him in the weight room for two years and, and figure out what he is later. And so he, he's somebody that, that really jumps out to me. I think, you know, to go on the, the other side of things, because, you know, little, like I said, is a guy that I feel like is a top 10 guy, a guy that, that isn't really getting attention, but I'm fascinated to see where he comes through the summer is Hayden Oviat. And he's a quarterback at Wamigo and he's about six foot two, 195 pounds. And he's not going to be a quarterback at the next level. I think he's probably going to be a linebacker or a box defender, something like that. But he's got the athletic measurables, I think, to be really interesting. And when you look at what happened last year in terms of, you know, Kansas finding an in-state safety in Mason Ellis, you know, sort of through camp, he went to K-State's camp as well and, and impressed and and wound up earning that that Kansas offer through camp. Uh, I think Hayden Oviat could be one of those guys that maybe goes into camps if he winds up running well and, and testing well, where people say, "Okay, wait a minute, what what about this kid? He's somebody that's probably maybe on the lower end of Ryan. Would you say maybe like seventeen, eighteen, somewhere around in there, around sure, around the sure. top twenty? Uh, but he's somebody that I think you know, could, uh, could be the type of guy that, that could go to a camp and depending on how he runs and how he tests, you know, could wind up pulling an offer out. Ryan Wallace. Well, and with, Hayden, with Hayden. Yeah. I was gonna say with Hayden Oviat, you know, he was a guy that I got to chat chance to see at the UC report camp 
just a couple of weeks ago here in Kansas City, and he performed as as a quarterback. But me and some other industry guys got to talking while we were watching him, and you look at his lower half, and uh, his thighs are just like cinder blocks. And so <laughs> you start wondering, could you know why not safety? Why not maybe even linebacker? Um, because he's a hell of a wrestler as well. So he's got this this physical, uh, mental mindset that you wonder might correlate better to defense than, than quarterback. And I'm sure there will be a number of schools that will work him out on that side of the ball moving forward. I love talking sleepers, so I'm just going to hit on on a few with, with position, but not every position. So if you look at offensive skill for me, uh, I think from a receiver standpoint, there are two guys that I wanted to touch on. One has already been offered by Kansas, and I thought it was a great move by Lance Leipold, and that's Trey Richardson yeah. out of Highland Park. He's a kid that I, I really think I, I'm I'm not a proponent of transferring, okay, especially at the high school level. But Highland Park is Highland Park, and, and I hate to say that, but it's the truth. And I think if you put Trey Richardson on any other team in the state, you wonder if his recruitment wouldn't be more. Um, just because you'd see him do it at, at another level uh, with a team that maybe gets a little bit more recruiting attention. He is lightning quick. I've seen him just embarrass kids from Oklahoma, Nebraska, you know, not just guys at the five or six A level here in Kansas. He's doing it in seven on seven repeatedly um, on one of the state's best um, seven on seven teams this year, which is 75 elite. Also, a guy that I know Kevin loves from his alma mater, Malik Oedis, yes. is another guy that is just super dynamic, played some running back for Shawnee Mission Northwest, also receiver. Uh, I think he is getting slighted by his height um, and his size because I, I think he's listed at probably only 5'8". I think he's legit 5'9", um, and I think he – He's Philip Brooks to me, and and I think he might even have a little bit longer of uh, wingspan and kind of catch radius than Philip does, and he can do all the same things. He's a guy that I think is really dynamic. I'm I'm curious to see if his testing numbers will put him over the top on a lot of these schools that have him on the radar, but maybe aren't that serious with him. Offensive. I think, line, I think Bryce. Just real quick on wide receivers. Yeah. I think Bryce Cahoon's becoming an interesting guy too. And I know we we've seen him quite a bit, and you know, we we've seen him in pads, we've seen him without pads, we've seen him in camps and, and things like that. But it feels like every year somebody does something on the track that that winds up, you know, generating attention. And, and it's not always obviously the Tarantanics level. But when you look at, at Bryce, he's somebody that, you know, measured 6'2", I think, at the last Sharp Combine. And I really have a a lot of respect for, for Bryce Cahoon because he's another one of those guys that we've seen a lot because he goes out and tests himself a lot at these combines and camps and things like that. But this is a guy who, who ran 10.66 in the 100 meters earlier this year. He ran, I think, sub-22 in the 200 meters. And so he's somebody that, that has some growth to do as a wide receiver from a route running standpoint, from a polish standpoint. But at the end of the day, he's still six foot two running 10, six. And, and somebody like that, you know, has a chance to maybe generate a little more interest than what he is right now. Exactly. And has been coming up to campus with Avery Johnson. So if the Wildcats sure. were to get Avery Johnson, I think Bryce Coon might have a, a tougher decision to make on where he wants to go. 
Um, offensive line-wise, we, we touched on him a little bit. Spencer Davis, he's blowing up. Yep. Uh, I, I think he's a tremendous offensive line prospect in the state that needs to be on more radars. He's Taylor Potier, but in a size that could eventually be 6'6". Um, just nasty out of Shawnee Mission North. Uh, I, I think big, big upside. Uh, Interior-wise on the offensive line, Dylan Burge, uh, player out of Olathe West. He has blocked for Anthony Favreau the last several years, and Anthony Favreau um, headed to Missouri as a preferred walk-on. But the thing about Anthony was he wasn't maybe the most athletic guy, and yet he was running for 1,000 yards every single season. And a lot of that had to do because he was running A-gap power behind Dylan Burge, who could be a center or a guard. Reminds me a little bit of a preferred walk-on that K-State nabbed out of Liberty this last cycle, Michael Capria, you know, in a Noah Johnson type of build. So he's not as tall. He's kind of cut off a little bit more, doesn't have the, the arm length, but he understands leverage. He understands fundamentals and balance and, and footwork and all these little things that I just think he is an offensive lineman that is going to do all the things right where he might get noticed at a camp and late in the cycle, somebody might come back to him and say, we know you're not the most athletic guy. We know you're not the ideal height that we look for, but you don't mess up on things. And we like that. And so uh, Dylan Burge is a guy that I'm pretty high on. And then uh, on the opposite side of the ball, real quick on defense, defensive line, a player out of Bishop Carroll named Walt Gray is very intriguing to me. Uh, Kevin, you know, we watched his tape before, 6'4". Sure. Uh, six three, probably about two. I think he's might be up towards two fifteen, creeping towards two twenty. Um, but man, he gets off the snap in a hurry and gets in the backfield very, very quick. He is the ideal player that most of these defenses that are starting to run this three three five stack want at that edge position where they can kind of stick him off as a hybrid. Um, don't have his hand in the ground and just say go pursue the football. Uh, he's a guy that has really intrigued me on tape. And again, a guy that I think depending on how he tests, well, we could really see some stocks start to rise for Walt Gray. Yeah. And I think, you know, the state has a lot of really interesting edge type bodies this year, guys who maybe aren't, you know, necessarily, uh, all the way there yet. And, and you know, Sam Samay is a top 15 guy and, you know, has, uh, has big 12 offers, including Kansas and, and has Kansas state offered him, Ryan? No, not yet. Okay. Yeah. So he's, he's maybe the most plus version uh, of that, but you look at, at the kid at Chanute, you know, Dagan Dean is a guy that both Kansas and K state, you know, got out and, and offered this spring and is probably going to be somebody that they might have in the camp. I, I think you look at the two Blue Valley West kids, you know, Josh Kidd and Lake Ryan, you know, they, they almost seem kind of identical in, in terms of the way they're they're built and the way that they move. And then I, I think one of the uh, one of the other interesting guys in there uh, is Aiden Beamer at, at Blue Valley Northwest. I'd like to see more of him because if I remember right, wasn't he an offensive tackle, Ryan? Yes, yes. And and he's got the athletic numbers and the frame of an edge kid, but he played offensive tackle. And so he doesn't have the tape that you want to see necessarily in terms of, you know, stacking and shedding or, or getting the edge and things like that. But when a guy is six foot four, six foot five, you know, 220 pounds, 
and gets out there and runs four seven and has the vertical that he does and the athletic measurables, he's somebody that could go into a camp and everybody just says, how did we not know about this guy? Yep. Yep. And then the other two for me on defense to round things outfits was that linebacker, uh, a guy that's, uh, I don't, I honestly don't know how he didn't get more attention until now, based on his numbers this last season at Lawrence. Kenton Simmons is yes. a guy that um, just was a tackling machine for the Lawrence Lions this past season. And it was his first year playing varsity football. And I'm sure that has something to do with it, but had a chance to see him at the UC report. Obviously it's without pads and it's, and it's in a situation that isn't to his strong suit because he's, he's a natural Mike linebacker. He's a guy that you want to stay between the tackles and you just say, do not let said running back, get to the edge, find the angle and bring him down. And that's what he does best. In this case, he was trying to cover. And so it, it didn't make him look maybe as, as good as I think a player he could become. If you just plop him as a Mike linebacker and he can be a true run defender, I think at his size, a legit six, three, six, four type linebacker um, with every opportunity to get up to the 235, 240 range with ease. Um, that's a player that I think a lot of coaches, when they see him in person, are going to go, whoa, um, we've got a lot that we can work with here. And then on the back end, Kevin, you're going to laugh at me because every single year I find some new Wichita Northwest Grizzly <laughs> cornerback that I absolutely love. And this year's no different. It's Dontrell Harris. I don't know if he's going to test elite. I don't know if he has that elite quickness that people want. I don't know if he's going to run four, four, but when you throw on the tape and you watch how fluid he is and how he can correct mistakes on the deep ball and play the vertical route so well, I just think that his ball skills are going to be eventually too good for a team to deny. And so if everything else checks out for him, I don't know if he's a power five guy. I don't know if he's an FBS guy, but I absolutely think that he's the type of player that, you know, in a very, very deep class could still, you know, further lengthen out the list of guys that go on and play collegiately and play at a high level collegiately, maybe at a North Dakota state or a high level FCS team. I really, I am fond of what I've seen so far out of Dontrell Harris. You know that I'm, I'm going to mention Caleb Weiss out of, out of garden city, you know, as another, Hayden Oviat type where, you know, he's played some quarterback. I think he's played some safety too, but even some of the coaches uh, in Kansas that have gone up against him, he's about six foot four, 195 pounds. And they say, you know, this, this is a pretty good athlete and he's got some length and he can tackle. And so another guy where you don't necessarily know what his position is yet, but you know that you get that kind of frame, those kinds of instincts and the athleticism that he shows on tape, you get that on defense, get him in your weight room and things like that. I think he's somebody that's going to stand out. And I think too, you know, just sort of on that, that level of guys that, that we were talking about, you know, in terms of, I don't know if they're power five guys, but they're something Hayes has about 30 of those guys. Here. <laughs> you know, when you look, when you look at Remy, when you look at Remy stole, you know, I'm not entirely sure what Remy's level is. McKinley joins the corner it is somebody that, you know, depending on how workouts go, I could see, you know, him, you know, going up a level, you know, maybe higher than people think. And then they've got, 
the the move-in wide receiver from uh, from Georgia in Kimani Archie, who's a kid that couldn't play this year because he moved in, and he's got some pretty nice athletic measurables. It's like a six foot two, six foot two and a half wide receiver, and so it might be that that Coach Crow is going to roll up to KU or K State's camp with about seven of these guys. And it just depends on, you know, which guy got a little more rested in the car ride on the way over in terms of who impresses the most, because Hayes has a whole bunch of those guys and, and they've got guys for, for 2024 and 2025 as well. He's uh, he's running a heck of a program over there. Yeah. Bry- Bryce Salmon's too up there. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's Fitz, crazy. Did we paint the state? Did we paint the state enough there? It's crazy how good the state is this year. You got guys. We uh, we didn't even mention a couple top fifteen guys. No, I don't think we mentioned Jordan Allen. And yeah, I mean, they're it's Trey Richardson. Fitz, we we try to put together a list of guys to consider. And granted, not all of those guys are going to be FBS guys, but they're all players of interest and, and guys that. If this goes right, if this testing goes right, whatever else, that, that there are players to consider. Our list this year, and I'm not exaggerating, is over 70 players. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. And that's not even what we consider all of the state of Kansas, because I think we all sure. wrap the Missouri side of the metro of Kansas City into in-state recruiting because it's right in the, the footprint of both schools. So let's turn our attention there. We mentioned long ago Josh Manning um, <laughs> and the interest he's receiving out of Lee Summit as a receiver. He would be the fifth highest ranked player in the state of Kansas if he was in Kansas. Let's start with him. And and who else sticks out on the Missouri side as I just unleash both Ryan Wallace and Kevin Flaherty on, on the Missouri side of Kansas City, <laughs> what we adopt for the state of Kansas? Uh, well, I'll take a little bit on Josh here real quick. I, I think for me, when you start to dissect his recruiting a little bit, you know, he's got some tremendous offers already out there, but you want, if you're asking about, you know, programs of note and programs of interest that we think might stick around for him, you know, longer than others. I think you have to look at Iowa and Arkansas as, as two that I would be very intrigued in as a Kansas state fan, Iowa, because Josh Manning's been up there several times. They've been recruiting him for a, a while now. He's got a great relationship up there with Kelton Copeland and it seems like every time he goes up there, he just raves and raves and raves about what he's seeing out of the Iowa program. Arkansas, in the meanwhile, uh, has also offered now. They bring that whole SEC vibe to it. Um, obviously, they're they're making a run more at this region. And so there are some other guys that are being recruited there that I think Josh has some familiarity with. And his mother is a Razorback alum. So that is one of note. And I do think Kansas State is probably in the mix there. Uh, they've poured in a lot of energy and effort into Josh Manning. They're also confident that if they have some dominoes fall their way, that they are going to have an a, a offensive package that will be um, somewhat eye-opening for a guy like Josh Manning as something that he might want to be a part of. And so uh, outside of Kansas State, for me, Kevin, I, I think Iowa and Arkansas are two that really stand out, but Josh is a hell of an athlete, hell of a receiver, extremely fluid that it wouldn't surprise me, Kevin, if he ends up wanting to wait out a little bit longer, because we could see 
a whole lot more attention come his way. Yeah, I, I think Josh Manning could play anywhere in the country, and, and it wouldn't come as a as a huge surprise. And you know, it, it's funny because I, I think because Josh Manning has been that guy and he's been that good, and and you've seen the attention go to Jaden Doss, who's seemingly been, you know on the radar for, you know, ever that you lose track of guys like, you know, Ricky, is it a Humarazzi? Amarazzi. Amarazzi out of, out of Liberty. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you lose track of, of guys like that and he's got, you know, multiple, uh, multiple power five offers as well. I think KU and K state have both offered that kid. And I feel like a guy like that would normally be a a top 10, top 15 type guy. I think we have him at at 18 or the composite has him at around 18 in that class. But I think that it it just shows the, the level that, that Josh Manning is at that, you don't hear as much conversation about that because everybody wants to, everybody wants to know what's going on with Josh Manning before they move on to some of these other guys. And, and like we said earlier in the conversation, you know, you you can include Andre Davis in that, you know, on the Kansas side, but you know, Josh Manning really comes off as kind of the prize out of that group where if you get that guy and you're Kansas or you're Kansas State or or even if you're some of these other schools, I mean, he's he's got a chance to be your wide receiver one and be that guy for multiple seasons where when you're lining up against the Oklahomas and Texases and and teams that have those sorts of players that look like they do on the hoof, yeah, Josh Manning's not going to look out of place when he's out there against those guys. Okay. Anyone else stick out on the Missouri side? Well, I mean, Kevin touched on the other two that for me, from a skill position standpoint, I think, you know, Kansas state fans will keep an eye on and should keep an eye on. And that's Ricky Amorazzi and Jaden Doss with Amorazzi. Um, you know, Liberty high kid that uh, can play both ways for the blue Jays. And I, you know, I, I wouldn't count him out as maybe being a two way type guy that K state or other teams want to maybe look at as a safety. I, I think he's less polished, less fluid, uh, a re- true receiver as Manning is. And so that's why you see maybe some coaches that have offered, but you know, I think maybe again, aren't as all in on him as they are other receivers. And I think it's just because there's still some things that he's trying to fine tune through seven on seven. And we should see that come to light more this, this summer and and even into his senior year, but the frame alone on Ricky Amarazzi at six, four approaching 200 pounds, there someone's going to take him and they'll figure out a position to put him at. Um, I'm curious to see, with him, how long he wants to let things play out. If, if he up to this point, I, I think it's been very favorable for Kansas state. I've toyed with the idea of putting crystal ball predictions in for Ricky Amorazzi for weeks now. And there's just been something there that I can't get a feel on yet. Um, that maybe either K state or, or maybe other teams have told him, can you just, just hang tight? I don't know. Um, we'll have to see with Ricky. And then Jaden Doss is the other one who, you know, can do a lot of everything. I mean, he's uh, the Swiss army knife for Ray Peck. He came on the scene as a receiver. And I think he truly rose to the level of recruit that he is when Ray Peck won the state championship two seasons ago in a state title game. I believe it was against Dismet or CBC. 
that was loaded with athletes and they had to put Jaden Dossett running back and he proceeds to run for like 200 yards on the ground. And he's got that type of frame that, you know, he can withstand that. I think at in his heart, he wants to be a receiver. And I think um, now that we've been able to see him shed some of that COVID weight and get back down to where he was as a freshman and as a sophomore in the 190 range, he it does look more like a true receiver. But he's a receiver that is a shorter version of what K-State fans remember Chris Harper doing, where he can use his body to really box out guys where you're not going to be able to bring him down on first contact just a, a very strong young man that uh, is piling up offers as we speak. You know, Oregon has offered. I mean, there's some big name schools in the mix for Jaden, but I do think ultimately it will come down to more of a regional focus. And I'm thinking, you know, Nebraska, Missouri, and again, probably K-State, especially if a lot of these pieces fall together where they can present Jaden Doss and, and Justin, Josh Manning with this puzzle of the future and how they fit into it. I think the other interesting guy um, in the city on the Missouri side, you know, and obviously, you know, you have the national guys at, at the top that, you know, can go anywhere they want to go. But speaking for interest for, for regional uh, type guys, I think Sam Van Dyne kind of jumps out a little bit to me because, you know, being a quarterback, obviously, Everybody wants Avery Johnson at this point, but but what happens when Avery Johnson pulls that trigger wherever he goes? And I think that, that that's one of the things that Kansas and Kansas State both wanting a quarterback in this class. You know, if Kansas State winds up getting Avery Johnson, who is also Kansas's plan A at, at quarterback, I, I think that Kansas is going to move on to somebody. And it, is it going to be somebody like Sam Van Dyne? They, they have other targets but, you know, there are guys like that, you know, the, the kid that you saw down in Oklahoma, uh, Ryan, or, or for for the Oklahoma team that, that really stood out for you as a passer. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Guys like that regionally, you know, are, are guys that all of a sudden, you know, maybe they're still on the board. Maybe they aren't. Van Dyne is a gifted thrower. I mean, he's, we were talking about how Avery, you know, sort of the one thing that, that he lacks it is that how it's for an arm. If you're not facing Sam Van Dyne and he throws a football at your back, it's coming out of your chest like an alien. I mean, it, it's, this kid has a, has a major arm. He can really spin it. And, you know, he, he's somebody that you've seen make gains as a passer, you know, as a more polished passer as his career's gone on. And so it wouldn't surprise me a bit when you look outside of sort of the top players in Kansas City and you say, okay, which kid here could could maybe start generating more interest. If we start getting to a spot where Avery Johnson's off the board and some of the local schools still need a quarterback and they, they still, they're looking for somebody. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see Van Dyne pick up an offer or two as that thing goes, because he can really throw it. And Fitz, I'll do, I'll do you one more <laughs> because, because, you know, Kevin was mentioning about, you know, a guy like Sam Van Dyne. Cause again, we're not really touching on the eager kills, you know, PJ out of yeah. and, and Shane Davey and Bradley for a reason, because I just don't think that there's, 
there's never really been big interest locally in those guys. And I don't think those guys really ever gave the time of day to the KUs and K States of the world. But, you know, we were talking about Sam Van Dyne a second ago, who's ranked 28th in Missouri right now. If you go all the way down to 35, you're going to find a young man that I think <laughs> is on the verge of maybe bursting out this summer. And that's Briggs Bartosh. He is an athlete. Uh, and, and correctly so, listed as an athlete by us at 247 out of Park Hill South. Same uh, program as Moody Rubin was at last year. And so there's a lot of familiarity there, at least from a K-State perspective, and, and really KU and any other local school that recruited Moody last year. But Briggs, um, unfortunately, went down last season um, with a season ending. I believe it might have been a knee injury, but don't quote me on that. Um, but went down with a season ending injury. And he's the type of player that probably would have been up for Simone Award consideration had he played a full season. He is absolutely electric uh, as far as what he can do with the football in a very unassuming and kind of surprising way because he's a 5'10 kid that is very chiseled when you see him kind of in a 7-on-7 uniform. But under pads, I think some of that gets lost. But his mentality is incredibly rugged hard-nosed kid that will he wants contact but at the same time this is a kid that has four upper four four to low four five level speed where he can also make you miss and so you're seeing air force and you're seeing army already offer him uh, and he fits in that style because he can play in the backfield i could see k-state making a stab at him as maybe coming on late in the cycle if he's still around or maybe they can lure him in as some sort of blue shirt or preferred walk on gray shirt to maybe compete as a running back. If nothing else, I think he has the physical tools, the natural athletic ability where you might be able to see again, a, a high level team take a gamble on him because he's going to test so well. His vertical jump is another thing that when you, you see him do a lot of these things in seven on seven or at combines, you're just like, wow, how how is this kid still here and not getting more attention? So kudos to Air Force and Army, but I think that's a guy that we're going to see other colleges start to jump in on so long as he can hit some of these mega camps and some of these team camps that are coming up in the summer. As a, as a bonus, a, a fifth friend and myself, uh, Scott Chasen, are on Briggs Bartosh's highlight video if you would like <laughs> to go watch. We were, we were there. We were at a Park Hill South game. Uh, Watching, uh, watching Moutier, and uh, I think it was right before halftime, and they gave him the ball on a handoff, and he broke it like 50 or 60 yards for a touchdown, and we just happened to be standing in that corner, and I can tell you, we were watching, we're like, oh, they're just running out the clock, no big deal, and then he breaks it, and, and it's like, oh, that's a nice run, oh, he just outran that guy too, and that guy, oh, touchdown. And so it was, uh, it, it was certainly, uh, certainly great to watch him run. I think Ryan hit all the major points on him and that he's, he's a guy that, uh, that runs physically for his size and everything, but he's such a, an explosive athlete that he shouldn't be pigeonholed in that role. And honestly, with his toughness, I, I think you almost get him into your program as a walk-on. And if he winds up being a running back or a safety or a wide receiver, it, it wouldn't really surprise me to see any range of outcomes because 
it never really hurts to get a guy like that in your program who has that kind of toughness. And like Ryan was saying, it is probably a legitimate four, four guy with how fast he is. We started this podcast a day ago um, <laughs> talking about the importance of this 2023 class for the state of Kansas. High school football is seemed to be seems to be really peaking and rising right now in the state of Kansas in terms of Division One FBS prospects. But let's revisit this: how important this class is to each specific of program here. And Lance Leipold at Kansas has made a. a Really, he's applied himself and his staff to getting back into the state of Kansas in ways that, honestly, previous staffs have somewhat ignored around the state. They've they've tried to recruit over the state of Kansas, and I, I don't think you can really be successful at either school, and you mentioned this, Kevin, without hitting the state of Kansas. What would uh, signify a victory for the Kansas Jayhawks in Kansas recruiting this season out of this 23 class, how, what would make them happy? Yeah. So Lance Leipold was asked a question after the spring game, basically it was, uh, I think <laughs> how have your Kansas guys done, you know, this spring. And it was a question that I'm pretty sure was asked by Bethany Bowman. Who's, who's, you know, does a great job with, with sports in Kansas. And, and, you know, they do such a great job across the state and, and Leipold, and this isn't going to sound like much fits, but he named off his Kansas players and how they'd been doing <laughs> and, and said, you know, Oh yeah. You know, this guy, he's had a good spring. This guy from Kansas is doing this. And you know, this guy from Kansas. And I, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but I'm not sure that previous staffs at, at Kansas would have been able to tell you who their Kansas kids were on, on such short notice. And it's something that he's talked about having an emphasis on, and Ryan and I even talked about it. It feels like years ago, you know, we started talking about how this could be a, a huge class for, for both Kansas and, and Kansas state for, for vastly different reasons. And I think it's shaping up to be a hugely successful one for Kansas state. And obviously, you know, Ryan will, will touch on that in a minute, but I think for Kansas, this class has a chance to be really successful too, even without landing a single top five guy, you know, when you look at, at some of the guys that Kansas is in play with, you know, after that, you know, I think Kansas is in play, you know, maybe for Andre Davis, depending on, on how things go with, with some of the other guys. I think Kansas is in play with Calvin Clements. I think Kansas is there, you know, they offered Trey Richardson. I think Kansas, you know, is in play with Samuel Samay. If Kansas gets, say, four of the top 15 guys, even without getting an Avery Johnson or a John Randall Jr. or a Dylan Edwards, and even if K-State gets, you know, say, two of those three, I think you could still argue that it was a successful class for Kansas. And I know that sounds crazy to say because your closest rival is beating you about the head for guys that you want, but at the same time, and I think you would even agree with this Fitz, Kansas just didn't show it cared for in-state guys. True. And, and I think that that was a big part of Kansas state's success is not just, you know, Hey, we're the best Kansas program, 
But in addition to that, they were able to show so much more interest. And I think that's where people like Taylor should, should get more credit is, you know, Kansas State made such an effort to, if you're an in-state guy, we want you and, and we're going to show you that attention. And there are guys that, that were high-level guys that Kansas offered and then basically ghosted never called again or barely called again, touched base, maybe. And, and and that shouldn't come, I don't think is a shock to anybody because uh, I think most people, you know, are, are aware of that situation, but that's, that's the background for why I would say if Kansas can get four of the top 15 guys or so, even if they aren't guys that if Trey Richardson, if Kansas is his only big 12 offer, and Kansas gets Trey Richardson in some ways, that's still, that's still a victory. One, the kid can play like Ryan was saying, but even beyond that, having the putting in the kind of effort to land four guys in, in state, you know, maybe even a fifth guy in state somewhere else. If you do that at the university of Kansas, you have taken a big step. Right. I feel like to combating this image that you just really don't care about in-state guys. And while everybody has talked about recruiting in-state, David Beatty talked about it. Um, Les Miles talked about it. While everybody has talked about it, it's a lot easier to point to your roster and say, here are our Kansas kids. You know, we're, we're making these efforts in state when you get those guys. And so I think that's what would be a successful class for Kansas. Now, if Kansas recruits, you know, 15 guys and, and they get one or two, which has kind of been par for the course, then, then forget all of that. Kansas is in a very similar spot where coaches across the state are saying, yeah, maybe you offered these guys, but how many Kansas kids do you really have on your roster anyway? And so I think that's the, the danger in the position that, that Kansas is in right now. And that Kansas, you know, probably isn't going to be in play for the top five guys and certainly not at a high level right now. But when you look beyond that point, I think Kansas has a, has a chance to make a positive statement. If they're able to get a few Kansas guys to where they can go out next spring and say, Hey, look, we, we recruited the state of Kansas. Look at these guys. we got." And on top of that, if you're not investing the time into the guys that have rankings in the state of Kansas, it impacts sure. your ability to go convince preferred walk-ons to come in or, or even your knowledge of the preferred walk-ons across the state of Kansas. And that's a, whole nother level that Kansas has to improve upon. Yeah, I don't think there's I don't think there's any doubt about that. For every Isaiah Simmons who was, you know, a Kansas legacy that was, you know, a Kansas plan B kid if we're if we're being honest, that that didn't get recruited at the level that he should have, you can point to other Kansas kids who, you know, have been available as walk-ons and and everything else. And, and some of these guys are, are going to go to K-State because they grew up being K-State fans. Kansas, even with the scholarship, might not have landed Alex Key, <laughs> you know, yeah. with, with K-State wanting him as a walk-on. And Alex Key was a guy that, that Ryan and I both loved and thought was a top 10 guy in the state last year. You're still going to lose some of those guys because they're going to come from K-State families or, or whatever else. But the point is, 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 like you said, you really just have to make it 
to where it's not just a line that, that you say at a booster luncheon that you're interested in in-state guys, you have to have some proof and you have to have proof when you go in to talk to parents for recruiting, you know, highly recruited guys. You have to, you have to have proof when, when you're calling kids to say, Hey, come be a walk-on here. You know, it really matters to us to have in-state walk-ons. And I think that, that, like you said, you know, all of that is a big part of if Lance Leipold is going to get Kansas turned around and not even, you know, not even to a great place, but just turned into a spot where Kansas is not constantly on sports center for the wrong reasons. Uh, I think that you, you really need to do that. Okay. Ryan Wallace, what does this class mean to the Kansas to the Kansas state program? They have three of the top 10 guys committed right now. You've got the crystal ball in on Avery Johnson, the quarterback at number one, that could put some dominoes toppling further in K-State's favor once he commits, if he commits. Give me your assessment of what would make this a successful class for the Kansas State Wildcats. Well, I mean, this would be big for Kansas State from the standpoint that this is kind of what everybody has been waiting on Chris Kleiman to do. And it just, it hasn't worked out. And you look at the 2020 class, well, he didn't have enough time. His staff was still uh, you know, trying to make inroads with a lot of those players that they were trying to catch up on recruitments that those guys had, you know, had for the better part of a year or two at that point. And then 2021 came and you saw Kansas State do fairly well, um, but they couldn't land Devin Neal and he ended up at KU. They missed on Noah Bolsikoff, uh, who was committed and then decommitted. And then they ended up getting some guys that, you know, Devontae Pritchard no longer on the stat, on the on the roster. Dorian Stevens never made it to campus. It, it was a little bit of a weaker batch. And so everybody was, again, turning to 2022. This is going to be the year. And I can remember thinking that that looked like the year because Kansas State had finally made enough inroads where the connections were pretty strong. And then COVID hit. And the staff just didn't really adapt maybe like some other schools did. And we saw the impact of what it did to them from a visit standpoint, how good Kansas state's coaching staff is once they're face to face with someone, how good Kansas state can be when they're able to really show off the facilities and show off the community. And they weren't able to do any of that. And so in turn, what we've seen from Chris Kleiman hasn't been all that different from Bill Snyder. You're seeing him land some really good Kansas players, uh, but they're players that some of the other schools deemed more long shots or more projects, uh, guys that were you know lower in the rankings, maybe at uh, eight, nine, and ten, or just outside the top ten. And so everyone has been waiting for Kansas State to take that next step and land more of the prize recruits, more of the top three, the top five, and so finally this season it was setting up where this might be the year, but it looked like a long shot. And K-State has struck on every different chord that they needed to, whether it be, you know, getting guys on campus, being consistently in their ear, not, you know, giving up when another big time school came on the scene. And then they've had some things go their way, as we talked about earlier, too. And so the the way that this can be a great cycle for Kansas State is if they finally kind of get the monkey off their back, so to speak, and land some of the state's best and kids that regardless of whether they reach their potential, I think the overall consensus with this group 
is that the guys that it, it appears like Kansas State might land and the guys that they've already landed, the three that with Fair, BB, and Ancio, guys that are going to be players. I don't know if they're going to hit their, their peak potential. Maybe not all of them will, but they're going to be players. They're not going to be guys that get in the system and you never hear about, and they're either buried on the depth chart or they're transferring out. These are guys that I think there is a very strong feeling are real legitimate football players that are going to be around Manhattan for the long haul. And so not only are you in putting yourself in position fits to get the high profile names within the state and finally, you know, send the state erupting the way that Taylor Bratt has been wanting them to for so, so, so long that also you're also, you're finally getting some kids that it, are are let you know there's little doubt with a lot of these guys and and kids that can really truly be the foundation moving forward and again as you even said earlier Fitz a lot of times it's not just about the recruiting that's, that you're doing now uh, but the recruiting that you're doing later on and a lot of these kids that they're in the running for have already gotten a very strong ties to kids younger than them and and so that could come in very very handy for Kansas State in future classes as well. Amazing. You guys are incredible. We went hour 45, almost two hours, and somehow I feel like we left kids out. That's how good the year is in the state of Kansas. It's incredible. I I, I really appreciate um, what you guys do, uh, your, your constant homework and knowledge, and I know you're planning some road trips to get around to see some of these kids with Michael Swain, our colleague at Fog.net, which will be just enormous for both of the Kansas sites on the 24-7 network. And, folks, if you're not subscribing to 247, once again, as you can hear from these guys, the best in football recruiting coverage you will find and the best in all recruiting coverage. But this year in the state of Kansas, you're going to want to follow along with 24-7 sports if you're a K-State fan or if you're a KU fan. It doesn't matter. It's a foundation type of season in recruiting for both programs where they can really lay some good groundwork for the future. Gentlemen, Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And as I mentioned, make sure you're subscribing to GoPowerCat.com, Fog.net, or your favorite college site on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Fitz, and I appreciate you listening to this episode of the PowerCat Recruiting Podcast. Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.